Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In the good times and the hard times, in the questions and in the answers, in those first moments and in the last moments, and all the moments in between, I choose thankful. Here we are once again to that time when we give thanks. And, and we all agree, I'm sure, that we should thank God every single day, but once a year we take time to thank God especially for his care of us. So let's start this special Sunday before this special Thursday with a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, thank you. First, because you gave us life. We exist at all as a gift from you. And then you gave us new life. You didn't just create us, you recreated us. And one day you'll complete that process in a way that's way more glorious than I think we can begin to understand. You provide us with a place to live. You provide us with work when we need it. You provide us with a church. You gave us a great nation to live in. We're so grateful for that. Give us family. Some that we can be near and some that are far away. But still our family. And of course you gave us a church family. A family that will become our eternal family. Those here. All around the world. Universal family of God. The church universal. Spans the time. Pentecost all the way to today and beyond. Hmm. A lot of people to meet. We're thankful for all of that. Thank you, Father, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Thanksgiving Day is a day specifically set aside to thank God. You know, what a fantastic idea. And interestingly, it used to be uniquely an American holiday. Uh, like the 4th of July. But now the idea has spread to many parts of the world. Once a year to stop and celebrate a special day just to say thank you. Specifically to God, at least we hope they remember that. (laughs) But also to say thank you to those near us and those far away, some maybe that we will never meet. You know, it's a wonderful idea. And annual festivals. Annual festivals overall are a good idea. And I know some sure So say you. (laughs) No, so says God. Watch. God instructed those in ancient Israel to celebrate festivals on an annual basis. So I'm certain it's a good idea. Uh, Anybody want to argue with God? I just thought you might not want to argue with God, so I was just... (laughs) In fact, God gave them seven festivals in two main groups. The fall feasts and the spring feasts. Uh, since the rededication of the temple four centuries before the time of Christ, Jews have also celebrated the festival of lights. Hanukkah it's called now. And every one of these festivals shares one thing in common. They're designed to remind the Jews of what God has done for them and to give them a chance to thank God for his care. 
to choose thankful. The two major festivals, Passover and Tabernacles, are made to start and end on the Sabbath. So they are eight days to celebrate God's goodness. I know it's early, but can I run down a rabbit trail already? (laughs) So Passover, of course, looked forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Tabernacles looks forward to our lives in the millennium. Or possibly our eternal life. Theologians are not absolutely sure on that one. But it's just kind of interesting. And that's it. We're back. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Our Thanksgiving holiday is designed to always land on a Thursday. That's the day of the week. Our Puritan brothers and sisters in Christ celebrated the first Thanksgiving day. But then we need to ask, why day of week? A day of the week. Where does that come from? Why do we even have a day of the week? Why do we even have a week? We can understand when something's annual. One trip around the sun, one year. Yeah, clearly defines annual. And then there's the month. Originally it was set up by the movement of the moon around the earth. Although month has been standardized and so it shifts a bit on us as to the lunar cycle. But that's where it came from. Easy to understand. But how does week fit into this? Why seven days? Some part of a month? Well, let's see. There are 4.2 weeks on average in every month. Well, that doesn't help. (laughs) A year. A year is about 52.14 weeks. Eh, That's completely useless. From where did the idea of a seven-day week, and particularly a Sabbath, come? And what does all that have to do with Thanksgiving and our choosing thankful? To understand, we have to go way back uh, to the time when God took Israel out of Egypt. To the very first time the Sabbath, which sets the week at seven days, is mentioned. The very first time the word is ever used. Let us set the stage. There were a number of incredible miracles that the Israelites watched, culminating in the amazing parting of the Red Sea. It was a wall of water on each side of them, and yet they walked through on dry land. The Egyptian army pursued them, and when they were right in the middle, God let go, and the weight of all that water crashed down on them. They saw all that. And now, for 45 days, the people of Israel have walked further and further into the desert with no stores anywhere in sight. And the food they brought is running out. There are no fields where they can go gather grain, no rivers that they can catch fish in, They can go nowhere to get food. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (sighs) Woe is me. (laughs) It's amazing when you consider it. God performs miracle after miracle. But do they think to ask him for another? To even expect that he might have some sort of plan? Do they even remember that in Egypt they worked every single day and were beat if they weren't productive enough? Do they remember that Pharaoh tried to kill all their male babies? Uh, Hello, you want to go back there? Do they remember to be thankful? Do they trust him to take care of them? Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, 
I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Wow. This is going to be a great miracle. Millions of people and enough bread for all of them every single day will just rain down from heaven. But to test them, how is it a test when he's just going to give them food? Jump down to verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. Uh, Fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? In Hebrew, that's mana. That means, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So step one, they have more food than they can eat. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Okay. And now the test. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Pretty simple instructions. The one who supplied the food says, Don't worry about running out. Just get what you need for today. But you're in the desert, you're running short of food, and there's way more than you need. Wouldn't it be smart to save some for later? No, fools. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left a part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. They complain when they're slaves in Egypt, so God uses Moses and a bunch of miracles to get them out. But as soon as they hit the road, they forget well, everything, and start to complain about their new circumstance. You know, the one that God gave them. These are some ungrateful people. They are given food through an amazing miracle, but do they listen to the very man through whose words this miracle was brought? No. Are they even thankful? No. So God keeps working his plan. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay it aside to be kept till the morning. Now, wait a minute, Mo. (laughs) First you tell us not to keep it overnight. And now you're telling us we have to keep it overnight. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it but on the seventh day which is the Sabbath there will be none. I mean, what an amazing miracle. I mean, yes, incredible that there's bread at all (laughs) but then six days on and one day off. The very same stuff that rotted if left overnight during the week was fine when they kept it for the Sabbath. But of course, some didn't trust him. Remember how it stunk last time? Did you ever notice that people who won't be grateful also can't trust? 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. People who aren't grateful won't trust. They also won't listen. But the Lord gave them the Sabbath. Gave them the Sabbath. It's important. It'll come up later. God himself set up this weekly system we have. That's where it came from. And I know of no record, and I've looked, there's no record of a seven-day week in any ancient civilization of any people before this time. So God gave us the week, complete with a day of rest. But for what? Now remember, there's no law yet. There's no written law. God has not given them that yet. So what's the week and the Sabbath for? Now he doesn't come out right out and say it here, but just days later, they're at Mount Sinai to receive the law. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, what Hebrews call the Ten Words. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He goes on to say that they should not make me idols, that they should never speak his name in vain. These three have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship to each other, to other people. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet. And he goes on to explain that, expand that. But today we're interested in what the word, the command, is that joins those two groups. How does number four connect our behavior towards God our spiritual lives, to our behavior towards other humans, our material and social life. And this is where he gives the strangest commandment to do just that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Really, that's, that's it? <laughs> Every seventh day, God says, I want you to consider holy, dedicated to me. And here's the part where it ties to others. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So we stop working. We don't make anyone else, not even our animals work. And that will make things better. Okay. But why do this? How does it make things better? For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Oh, sort of. <laughs> you see, Moses had just finished writing the book of beginnings, Genesis, and they'd all heard it. And in that work, the Holy Spirit had guided him to record how everything had come to be. Why is there an earth? Where did heaven come from? Where all of us came from? So God gave us life. The connection is actually pretty easy. God is saying, on this seventh day, I want you to remember that you owe all that you have, like maybe manna, even your very existence to me. I want you to be thankful, to trust me, to listen to me. How important did God consider this to be for the Israelites? You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be 
put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that show shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Well, this is serious. If you make it unholy, profane it, you die. And simply working is enough to profane the Sabbath. I think some people back then were glad they weren't Israelites. <laughs> That's what I think. Wow. And how long do they have to do this? How long does this rule last? Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. As long as there are people of Israel... This sign, this Sabbath, is a rule, a law to them. A sign, something to say to people everywhere, God created us and gave us everything. Every Sabbath, when they looked at the manna that they didn't have to collect that day, they remembered. God made the heaven and earth and us. All we have, we have because God gave it to us. We would hope that they would remember to say thank you. <sighs> Alas, most of those adults did not. Only a few months later, kid you not, when given the chance to leave the manna behind and take possession of the promised land, they would not. In so short a time, they had already forgotten all that God did for them. They forgot they owed their very existence to him. They forgot that six days every week they were given food that he was caring for them. So they would not trust him. They would not listen to him. And they would not go into the promised land. Did they already forget what the Sabbath stood for? Did they think it was just a day for them to take it easy? Did they forget the greater purpose? Yes, you are taking it easy today, but why? Whatever the case, God continued to work his plan. Only those under the age of 20 would enter the promised land Forty years later, along with all those born during those 40 years. 40 years. I mean, that's an interesting thought. Can you imagine never living without a time when all your food is provided for you? I guess that's true for us as well. Anyway, every seventh day they would rest and be reminded that God created the heavens and earth. And by such a physically tangible means, for 40 years the children of Israel faithfully kept the Sabbath. And, all right, God doesn't give them a choice. <laughs> you want to eat? That's how it works. And now it's the end of that four decades. All that first generation is dead. And everyone now living is about to enter the promised land. Well, except Moses, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, God gives Moses a special message for those people of his. And in the midst of it, we hear these familiar words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Ah, the ten words. Here they are again. So very important that God repeats them, but with a strange twist. And you probably guessed it. It's in our fourth commandment. That one between our relationship with God and with people Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant or your female servant may rest as well as you. Pretty much the same so far. Here's the big change. You should remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You can practically hear them say, wait a minute. Where's the bit about God creating everything? For 40 years you've been telling us that's why we're supposed to remember the Sabbath. And why repeat what you already just said in the first of the ten words that you rescued us from Egypt? Think of it this way. None of their parents, 40 years earlier, were alive when God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) Nobody was. God told them about those wonderful things that they hadn't seen so that they could tie them to the things they did see, the manna, for instance, and give him thanks for all of it. Most of these people Moses is talking to now were not even alive when God rescued their parents and grandparents from Egypt. He wants them to tie creation and the exodus to what they see now and remember God in all of it. Pause here. It's like talking to somebody under 50, really, about the Vietnam War. I can still remember my stomach being tied up in knots waiting to find out my draft number. I can remember the night when they were drawing those numbers. I'm like, I knew I'd do it if I was called, but I but I really didn't want to go over there and get shot at. <laughs> and it ended up okay. My draft number was, I kid you not, 352. I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'd take another world war for me to get drafted, so I was I didn't have to go there. And it is a strange thing. I actually felt this kind of sense of loss when they didn't pick me. <laughs> it was just strange. Anyway. That's what it was like for them. So our second generation of Israelites, the ones going into the promised land, why why the change to remember the Exodus instead of creation? And it all relates to the purpose of the Sabbath. Like what Jesus told those legalistic Pharisees 1,500 years later, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The priests of Jesus' time had elevated the Sabbath until it was more important to them than the people who were to celebrate it. More important than the people for whom it was made. They thought that people were made so that the Sabbath could be recognized. But Jesus said, no, I created the Sabbath for the people that I created so they could remember me, so they could thank me, so they could trust me, so they could listen to me. But all of that has changed now the funny thing. After centuries of living by the rules that God set up to show himself to them in a way they could understand, they begin to think that the rules were God. The nature of God, who he is. Fools again. No, this is how he showed himself to them, not who he is. The rules had become their God. Well, the rules as they understood them. Consider this example. None of the priests had ever seen a person miraculously healed. No one at Jesus' time had. They had no idea what it was all about. But when Jesus heals people on the Sabbath, 
They get mad and tell him that they're sure it's against the rules. <laughs> Can you imagine? A blindness that complete. And yet it's true. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. What a callous, ungrateful heart. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Rules are great. Although some people love them maybe a little too much. But rules are not the real thing. They are there to point to the real thing. As Paul wrote, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or in regard to the festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath and all those food rules, they were great. But they were never the reality. God did want all his people to remember all he had done for them. He wanted them to be grateful, to trust him, to listen to him. It never was the particular day on which they celebrated the Sabbath. It's that one celebrates a Sabbath at all. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. It isn't the rules, it's the attitude. Are you grateful? That's why there's a Sabbath. In fact, for us, there is no such thing as a Sabbath. (laughs) Or to say it another way around, we are perpetually to be living in the Sabbath. We should always be grateful. We should always trust God. We should always listen to his instructions. And one more thing. One more thing. There's there's something else that characterizes a grateful heart. The Apostle Paul was constantly fighting those who emphasized the rules over the reality. Finally, he went up to the mother church in Israel, to Jerusalem, to meet with the apostles and to gain their support in this war. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul had been telling the Gentiles they didn't have to obey those old rules. The apostles agree with Paul and tell all the church Gentiles do not have to live by the Old Testament law to become members of the church. They agree that it is the attitude of the heart, not the observance of the rules, that is important. But then they continue with an interesting request that's closely related to choosing thankful. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. A child of God's is grateful. They trust in the Lord. They listen to and observe his commandments, his instructions, and they remember the poor. They are generous. Every year, people all over America stop to take a day to say thank you. 
Hopefully they're remembering the one who created them, the one who redeemed them. If they are, then they will have faith, trust in him. And if they trust him, then they will listen to him. And if they listen to him, then they are generous. As Christians, we gather not just once a year, but every Lord's Day, specifically to remember the gift of Jesus Christ and to learn more of him and of his word. Every seven days, a good and wise practice. But truly, in our hearts, we say, I choose thankful every day. We trust him. We listen to him. We wisely share what he has given us. This is what a grateful heart does. This is how you live when you choose thankful. In the good times and the hard times. In the questions and the answers. In those first moments. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.